You're listening to the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. In each season, we explore an ancient practice from the way of Jesus and its relevance for the modern era. This is season two, prayer. Hey, John. Mark, good to be here. Thank you. You almost called me John. I, I almost did. I caught myself. Yes, that's okay. I would have extended mercy to you in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, welcome to the Rule of Life podcast. We're so grateful for your presence and your voice and the life behind your voice. Even more importantly, you are a, a gift and a friend to me and so many others. So thanks for coming on. For those of you listening who are not familiar with JT, you are the founder of Civil Righteousness, which is an international movement of holy activism, and we'll get you to riff on that a little bit. You're also a Justice and Mercy Fellow at Bridgetown Church, so you come out from St. Louis about once a month and spend a few days or a week in Portland kind of building out a Justice and Mercy mercy initiative and culture at our church and far beyond. And uh, you're just such a mentor to myself and so many others and such a wise soul. You know, there's so many things I love about you. The first time we sat down for a podcast conversation was right in the middle of 2020 when I was just desperate for, our city was literally on fire and I was just desperate for a wise one to lead and guide my steps in a very tumultuous kind of moment in our city and our church and my own personal life. And you, for me, were that kind of luminary, you know, guide. Uh, wow. and it's, it's like in the, the Here with a Thousand Faces, the Joseph Campbell, the kind of mythology story where the, the sage shows up just when you need him, wow. you know? And you were that and still are that for me and for so many others. And so we had a in-depth conversation around justice, which is, of course, what you are best known for. I mean, that's your nonprofit, that's your work, is all about civil righteousness. And I love that about you. You, But what people don't often realize is that behind the activism, there is, if you spend time in the room with you, such a quiet, contemplative heart and a gentle spirit behind. I mean, you're a six, what, six, four, six, five, whatever. <laughs> you are like a very strong, tall man, right? but you are such a gentle giant. And that's not flattery. That's just like honest assessment of your person. And you remind me a lot of, you know, St. Ignatius coined, I think that phrase of a contemplative in action. And in the Catholic tradition, they kind of separate out the contemplative life from the active life, not just activism, but active of being a priest okay. or whatever. And a contemplative is more like a monk or a nun. And, you know, Thomas Merton said, the most difficult thing in all of the world to be is an active contemplative or a contemplative activist. That it's easy, it's hard, but doable to be a contemplative right. and to cloister yourself in a monastery and devote yourself to fixed hour prayer. And it's hard, but doable to be an activist. But the most difficult thing to be is a contemplative in action. And that is my experience of you, that you are an activist, but behind that public life is a personal life. Behind your voice in the world is a quietness and a, a listening more than a speaking, you know? And there's just a deep well in you of prayer and of life with God. And so um, 
I always have questions about justice and how does all that work out for us today? And I'm sure we'll get into some of that, but really what I want, the, the part of the well that I want to tap into today is, um, is prayer. And I know you have a lot of background in prayer and in prayer movements. So where I'd love to maybe start is, you know, as we think about the tension between contemplation and action, between listening and speaking, between the private and the public, uh, you know, that just calls to mind the, the tension and the division in our nation right now. I mean, we, you and I were both born into a time, not that previous times were, were much better, but just a time of great polarization, at least right. on a political level and division and, you know, breaking down all the different lines that divide our society. And one, I think, kind of lightning rod kind of statement of that division is this fascinating phrase to me as an observer in the culture wars more than a participant that I regularly hear when I read the news. And it's this phrase, thoughts and prayers. And you typically hear it from a politician or a public figure, either on Twitter or in a press statement. You typically hear it after some kind of tragedy, most normally a mass shooting of some kind or a school shooting. You'll have a politician normally from the right you know, tweet out or, or say in a statement, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families or the victims sure. or whatever, which normally elicits ire from the left who are like, we don't want your thoughts and your prayers. We want new policy or we want legislation change. Or we want act, you want action. Sure. And I find that phrase, which again has now been caught up, the phrase by itself is benign. I mean, not like people are actually against thought or against prayer. But the phrase has become emotionally loaded and it's become a part of the, the culture wars and the polarization between left and right. And I find it so interesting because on the right, it seems like behind that cliche is this idea that we can kind of lob a prayer off to heaven and put a tweet out there but not do anything, not turn that prayer into action or justice or work or change. And on the left, it seems like the assumption is, well, prayer doesn't actually do anything. So right. stop praying and go do something in Washington, D.C. or wherever. And I would just love, you know, I would love to hear you interact with this kind of, not to put you like on eggshells right from the beginning. And I'm not asking for <laughs> your political opinion on whatever necessarily, though we're happy to have it. But I just, I would love to get your perspective on that. Well, I think we have to go back to a fundamental question concerning our revelation of prayer. Um, oftentimes, if, if just to be honest, if I don't want to do something or I don't want to think about making a decision, if someone says, hey, will you come on this missions trip or will you uh, come to my daughter's birthday party? Let me pray let me, about let it. Let me pray about it. Which is Christianese for let me procrastinate. Or not say no in person because exactly. I want to avoid conflict. Exactly. So, I mean, fundamentally, we I mean, have— Not always. Sorry. Not, not but always. I have used it in that way. It's, it's yeah. the Christian no, yeah. right? Well, we'll pray about it. <laughs> and how, how often does that actually happen? How often yeah. does that translate into legitimate— Holding that decision before God right. and waiting. Yeah. Right. And so I think knowing that anyone who's been around Christendom has some level of— um, complicitness in that line of, of, yes. of thought. And so I think when we begin to see the immediate response, for one, we have a culture that expects a response to everything that happens, right? So there's a, there's a pressure whether uh, you're a Christian leader or you're just a concerned citizen 
you know, every tragedy that happens, anything um, that's disruptive in culture, there's this there's this sense of, okay, we have to have a response. And do you mean like a verbal response or an active response? I'd say both, but I, I, especially in the social media age, there's a, yes. there's a particular pressure to have a, a, a significant verbal response or acknowledgement. Yeah, you know? much of which is just virtue signaling, but it, not exactly. all. And are you saying that's like in, a, in an unhealthy way, like the reactivity of our culture or in a healthy way, like the I, responsiveness I, of our culture? I, I would say at this point in an unhealthy way. Okay. Like we're, we've, we've created a, a reactive culture, you know, a culture filled with knee jerk kind of reactions. Yes. And so I, I'm not a politician, thank God. But I think that no, but this is now on an, on everybody. This is on everyone. You know, in my lifetime, it, it so profoundly changed for me as a pastor. I right or wrong in the majority white kind of evangelical church culture that I grew up in, the expectation. I did not grow up in some political right wing kind of thing. The expectation was that a pastor would never mention politics ever. Yeah, sure. like you would just never. And I'm not saying that was right or wrong. There are all sorts of problems with that, but mm-hmm. that was the assumption in my, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying right. that was good or bad. I'm just saying it, it was, but something profoundly shifted in about 20, about 2016 with the election of president Trump, where, and again, I'm in Portland, this very progressive, very millennial city, that expectation turned on its head from, I was never to mention politics ever to, I was expected to make public statements pretty much at that time, like every single weekend about and there are often things that I learned about Saturday evening that I'd never even heard of before, you know, about like what was happening at the border. And I'm, I specifically remember that Saturday night reading about the families in cages at the border. I'd never heard of that. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't understand the complexity behind it. And I was expected the next morning to get up and give a diatribe on it. I'm like, I, I'm still learning, you know. Right. So it's a profound pastoral shift where what used to be never talk about it now is always talk about it. Right, exactly. And I think that that reality, I mean, I can remember speaking in Los Angeles. Um, I was on a Sunday morning speaking at a predominantly Asian church. And apparently that morning um, before service, something had happened with some Asian uh, individuals at LAX. Mm -hmm. And I was there speaking about justice. But after service, people came up to me angry. They're like, how dare you not say anything about what happened here in L.A. today? I mean, how could you talk about justice and not talk about what just happened in our community? Well, bef- prior to service, I was praying and yeah, preparing. I was going to say, did you even know about it? No, I was prepping, prepping for a message. So unless I had, you know, yes. an earpiece that's telling me the newswire, there's no way for me to know, much less form, mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a cohesive and helpful statement yes. around what needed to be addressed. Um, and so I say that to say that, just to kind of make the case for the thoughts and prayers, maybe objectively, I think it's it's become kind of the default. I have to show a display of compassion or empathy or concern. But I don't uh, really know what, or I don't want to do anything, or I don't know what to do. Right, so let me just at least say this, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Yes. Right. Now, but to dive deeper, um, the reality is true uh, righteous thought and true prayer always leads to action. Yeah. So if you're really thinking about it, 
And you're really praying and about you're really it. Praying. Like re- for, the, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, my thoughts drive me to prayer. If, I, if I'm anxious, if I'm concerned, if I'm burdened, if I've read all the news reports and I've read the books and I'm, I'm processing something, my thoughts create a burden. And the burden, sometimes my thoughts keep me awake. And so the way that I deal with my thought about the school, about, uh, the school shooting, about the latest incident that resulted in the loss of life, is now I have to do something with the thoughts. Yeah. You know, um, the Bible actually talks about taking captive your thoughts. Well, what do I do? I present my thoughts to the Lord in prayer. And then the prayer leads me into a place of, it always pushes me into process or action. Yeah. And maybe not within seconds or minutes or even days. Exactly. But if you really turn that to God in prayer, you're saying it, it will inevitably come out of your body in action. It will. It, it's, it's the only, when I look at the pattern that Jesus set for us, um, it is the way. And I think on the other side of the conversation, especially in justice movements, I get a lot because civil righteousness is prayer-fueled, prayer-driven. Our first response, our first option is prayer. Yeah, That is the first. It's, it's not, oh, well, I guess we can't do anything. I guess all we can do is pray. No, it's not our last resort. It is our first resort hmm. is communication. It's not the end, but it's the beginning. It's the, it's the, the source. We want to start with and get the mind of God yeah. on the times in which we live and what we should do. And then from there, you know, when I, when I engage with individuals who, are, who say to me, well, I don't want to pray, I want to do something. To me, it's an indication that... And the assumption there is that prayer is not doing something. That prayer is not doing something, that, that prayer is not action. That is an indication to me, even especially believers, you know, Christians who say that. I say, well, that's an indication that you've never actually discovered or tapped into the power of prayer. You, you, may, you may have a form of godliness. You know, the, Tim, the book of Timothy, First Timothy, I believe it says, you know, those who have a form of godliness, but deny but the deny power. power. Yeah. So if you've had a powerless if your faith journey and your practice of prayer has been devoid of power, then it makes sense that your thought concerning prayer is that it doesn't do anything and that you want to do, you want to do something with your, with your human strength and your human energy that's tangible, that, that, that's substantive. That's, that's the word. And, and what's so interesting is part of that is the right impulse put right. into your heart by God to not let it stay in your head or even stay right. in your heart, but to get into your body and to get out of your body into the systems of our world, you right. know, um, to move from the individual to the interpersonal to the institutional, you know, right. but there is, man, such a, such a sense there that people begin putting their hope, not in God, but in DC or in whatever. Sure. And really at some level, there's that human bent that I think goes back to the garden that our heart, my heart is just constantly like slipping off the track to where I just want to, I want control over my life and I want control over my world. And prayer brings you to the end of yourself and the beginning of God. 
and much of the point of prayer is to let go of control. Absolutely. And to attempt to align with the power of God to see it released into your life and your society and your community. So humans resist letting go of control at every level of our life and formation. Absolutely. And and although prayer, there can be instant gratification, God can move in the miraculous and does often. But many times the, the, the work of prayer is the work of the unseen. And it, it, it's not, you don't get that immediate sense of gratification yeah. that you get with the things that, you know, if I go to the soup kitchen and I put soup in a bowl and serve the, the houseless individual and they eat, I feel gratified because I just I just did something. Yeah. Like they were hungry, they're no longer hungry. I can touch it, I can feel it, I saw it with my own eyes. In prayer, oftentimes you enter into the realm of the unseen. It's mm-hmm. hope it's second Corinthians, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Therefore, yeah. we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, what is, is unseen. unseen yeah. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Prayer is the eternal work. Prayer is working in the eternal realm for the natural temporal space that we live in. Now, of course, you know, prayer, as we both know, is kind of an umbrella term, you know, for all sorts of, you know, interactions with God throughout Scripture. But the type of prayer that I think you're alluding to here isn't just like spiritual mental hygiene, you right. know, where you just process your anxiety with God in prayer, which is very important, actually, because sure. if we don't process our anger and our anxiety and our angst with God, we're going to process it somewhere, you know, on Twitter or whatever other places that are right. much less healthy. But the type of prayer that you're referring to, I don't know if you would call that intercession or what. It's different, right? It is different. I, I think intercession would be the word. Um, an, another word might even be contending prayer. Wow. So talk to us about that. When when I let's say when I see the homicide rates in a city skyrocket like in Portland, like in Portland, like in St. Louis, like in Chicago, like in Detroit, like in Baltimore. I mean, we can go down yeah. the list of cities. Um there are case studies. In fact, there's a um famous video called Transformations, where in South America, uh, a group of people, the the cartels of Cali, Colombia, were absolutely, this is in the mid-90s, it was, it was so dangerous, you could not walk outside without dying. I mean, it was, it was guaranteed daily bodies falling from the, the cartel wars. And there was a pastor that purposed in his heart to pray and to call the church to pray against the cartels and to pray for the Lord to remove the spirit of death from the land. Um, It's an amazing story, but in short, um, they begin to pray through the night and they filled the soccer stadium for weeks on end with all night intercession, worship, prayer, Lord, um, Lord, push back this homicidal spirit in our city. And there was a radical transformation. Um, the cartels moved away. Uh, families, the, the economy was restored. Um, 
gardens began to grow fruit that were three or four times its natural size. I mean, wow. it was a supernatural miracle where the land responded to the presence of God by responding to the prayers of the saints. Wow. And and so this contending prayer is where you enter into this, um, it's really the unseen realm where we we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, powers of darkness and uh, spiritual rulers of wickedness. And we wrestle like Jacob. We we go into this place with God where we're holding on to the promise of God. That's hope. What is God saying about Portland? What is God saying about the school system in America? What is God saying about the um, about the nations that we're praying for? What is his dream? God, what are you... What do you desire to do if you say that there will be streams in the desert, but all we see in the natural is drought? Then we're holding on to that promise. God, your word says you create streams in the desert. I see nothing but hopelessness here, but you said you turn the valley of weeping or Baca into a door of hope. Mm. So we hang on to his truth, and then we stand in the gap between the truth of heaven's design and desire and the reality of what we see here in our natural and we pray that truth, we speak that truth mm. over and into our reality until yeah. our reality becomes to look like that truth. Mm. And oftentimes when you pray that way intercessorily, in an intercessory way, God will then say, okay, not only am I going to supernaturally cause a stream to, to come forth in this desert, but here's an idea for you. Here's a business plan for you. Here's a, here's a blueprint. Um, Actually, call this individual and tell them what you've been praying, and then God will supernaturally begin to um, mm, create. create in the midst of that. He allows us to partner with him in the creative work of recreation, of, of restoration, of renewal, of um, reformation. And so when I think of thoughts and prayers, I think that ultimately— we need more thought. We need more prayer, but we need the mind of Christ, and we need to see our prayers as the elevator that brings us into the the strategy room of heaven, uh, and also the the canal through which He channels the resources. So that when we begin to take action, whether it's minutes later or months later, it's not a reactionary ping pong, which is what I see so much of, you know, in our culture right now, but it's more strategic. It's more thoughtful. It's, it's full of wisdom and therefore more effective. Is that what you're saying? Because as you begin to first like channel that anxiety and anger and angst into contending, into fighting for God's promises to come to pass in a situation that are far from, is far from God's promises. Right. As you're doing that, you're saying you begin to have a mind that is is taking on the imagination of Christ for what to do in that situation. Absolutely. That's your experience. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Now, what about when it's just, it's not coming or it's a long time coming? You know, there's a there's such a spiritual wealth from the black church and the black experience in our country and goes far, goes beyond our country's, you know, founding. But I think of like, the African-American idea of travail, which is like, I did not grow up with that as, as a concept. Would you, would you explain that for us? Would you 
Talk yeah. about that. Well, re- really, it's it's not an African American idea. It's you know, in Isaiah sixty, um, there's a scripture that says, um, "Can a nation be born in a moment? Uh, for as soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth." Hmm. So travail is this, if if which you have kids, your wife's given birth, mm-hmm. um, but you know that moment where your wife's in labor. Yeah, well, I know. And yeah. you know you you can count the minutes between the contractions, but then there's a turning point. Yeah, where where suddenly the sound that's coming out of her changes, and it's been a long time coming. It's been a long yeah. time. This baby's been growing. And gestating, gestating. Yeah. the hand of God is knitting this life together. But now, just before when things really get intense, the transition happens and the sound goes from, you know, the sounds that accompany uh, childbirth to intensity, you know, and it's a wail. It's a, ah, as, as, as the push begins. There's pain in it. There's pain. Labor, yeah. That is travail. Mm. And some some would say that grace came upon Mary. You know, it says uh, to conceive Jesus, right? There's this grace that that enters to that the the God man would would be incarnated, right? That Jesus the Son would be incarnated. And in the same way, it's like in prayer, God still releases and incarnates heavenly ideas through humanity, through us. And, and so he will seed us and in, in, uh, in a conception happens of something that's in God's heart that he wants to bring greater measures of kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. And then there's a gestation time, there's a long time. And so for the African-American or the descendants of the African diaspora, God had a plan for freedom for us at the very beginning of slavery. Um, and this is a very difficult conversation, but the truth is there, there is a redemptive plan beyond the pain and, and even throughout the darkest and most difficult and most complex parts of human history, Jesus is coming to reconcile all things yeah. to himself. Which doesn't make those things good or his no. plan or his will, but... But there's, there's a, there is a plan, of, there's, a, there's a redemptive glory mm-hmm. that God is bringing to... Yeah, nothing is wasted. Nothing's wasted. And so part of that... I just, I just read this devastating book by a... Croatian who just experienced horrific violence and trauma and oppression. At the very end of the book, you know, he wrote something to the extent of, there is no catastrophe that God cannot redeem if it's not given to him, you know? Right. His words, not mine, you know, but um, that's what you're saying, right? You're you're not saying, oh, this was a good thing or this was some plan. You're saying God can redeem anything. he, he, He is the God of redemption. And in the midst of uh, slavery, of the historic transatlantic, trans-Saharan slave trade, there was a supernatural seed of hope Mm -hmm. that the Lord placed within my ancestors, Mm -hmm. where 
they learned the technology of communication with God. The Lord supernaturally released communion and communication with the Father through intercession. Generationally, slaves would pray, if not me, let my children's children be free. That's mm-hmm. a hope for that's a hope yeah. prayer. There was something of even the song of the Lord that then emerged where mm-hmm. um, we are my ancestors learned that we could sing to the Lord, we could sing our prayers to the Lord. Not only were we accomplishing work in the supernatural, but it would help us accomplish more work in the natural. The days mm-hmm. would go by faster. Jobs that were hard would feel just slightly easier because, uh, you know, if it took 10 men to plow a field, they would plow in rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. with one another to the rhythm of the song. And so you look at these those little uh kind of glimmers of the presence of God, even in the midst of the darkness and great oppression. And what that did was produce a, I call it prevailing prayer. It's, it's a, it's an endurance, a forbearance, a long suffering. These are all gifts of the spirit. These are all part of the character and the nature of God, the fidelity of heaven to man and the fidelity of God to the earth that then becomes the reality of our prayer life where we, we are so steadfast. So there was a steadfastness and an immovability that, uh, that became a part of the faith of the African diaspora to where our, our faith was not shaken or shaped by, um, our confidence in God, rather, was not thrown off by the lack of, of sight in the natural, yeah. you know, of what we were praying for or hoping for. So eventually... Over the course of hundreds of years, that same kind of quality of faith and ability to engage with God then got passed down to my own grandmother. I can I can just mm. remember she would pray about everything. Mm. I mean, it didn't matter what it was. Now, I'll never forget being about seven years old, and we go to my grandmother's house, and her her faucet had a leak. Have I told you this story before? No, not at her all. Her faucet had a leak. I mean, it was not. It was more than a leak. It was like it was spewing water. <laughs> My dad comes in. He couldn't fix it. He's like, Grandma, you're gonna have to. It was my great grandmother. He's like, Grandma, you're gonna have to call a plumber. And she says, Oh, we'll call a plumber. Everybody come over here. <laughs> she gets the whole family around the sink. It's spewing water. And he's like. Well, at that time, you had the yellow pages. You know, yes. he's getting the the yellow pages up. She's like, put that up. We're going to call on the plumber. And she says, <laughs> Father God, <laughs> if you can split the Red Sea, if you can stretch out your hand and lead Moses so that he can lead his people, then I know, oh God, that you can stop this water. <laughs> and I kid you not, she prays about a 30-minute prayer. I mean, she goes in yes. on this prayer, the whole family. Prevailing. Pre- prevailing and travailing. You know, it's a, it's an, oh God, it's a, it's travails, not just the sound, but it's this. Comes from a it deep It comes from this ache. deep ache. And it's from the belly, I say, you know, out of the belly flow rivers of living water. So it's the deep in me crying out to the deep in God. And from that place of, pre- of, tra- of travail over many centuries that gets passed down 
and pressed into a prevail, into a hope. Mm. I know you can do it, God. You've done too many things. I've depended on you for everything that I've ever needed. She prays that prayer. And by the time she said amen, that faucet was as dry as it had ever been. And and it never leaked again as long as she lived in that house. And that marked me. That imprinted on you. It imprinted on me. Seven years old. I knew he is the God who answers prayer. And there's nothing too hard and there's nothing too, nothing too big or too small for me to ask from him. And I feel like that's the inheritance of um, the, the saints, you know, not just in the, the black community, but that's that, that place of entering into the groans of heaven, yeah. you know, that, we, that we're all invited. Yeah, and I think of, you know, what scholars call the parable of the persistent widow, but of Jesus teaching, you know, that, quote, people ought always to pray and not lose heart. Yes. You know, the interesting thing about your travail metaphor of the moment in labor and childbirth, mm-hmm. that comes, you know, just, I'm a man, so obviously I've not experienced it personally, but, you know, walking with my wife through that, that comes at a moment when the mother is exhausted. Mm. You know what I mean? That yeah. last, you know, first off, just pregnancy, you know, by, by the end, by month nine, you know, she's just, and my wife is strong and endurant and a trooper, but she was just tired. You know, you're literally carrying another right. life in you and it just gets heavier mm. and heavier and heavier. And then she goes into labor and that's like over the top exhausting. Right. And then the most difficult part of it is at the very end, mm. which is, of course, right before life, right before new life and birth wow. and, you know, the, all, all the things. But it just makes me think of often the moments that call for our greatest, most intense prayer are the moments when we are most ready to give up. That's exactly right. So, so how do you keep going, JT, when... When you're tired, when it feels like it's not coming, when you're in pain, when you just want to give up. I think, I think that's where the stories, and, and this is where we need the Word of God. I mean, the stories, the stories that we are living right now, you know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. There are those heroes of the faith that have gone before us. And we have to be connected to the reality that we're a part of a, a glorious parade of history yeah, and a parade of overcomers. This is our inheritance. So to be able to go back and, and read uh, both of the, the ancient mothers and fathers, um, even more recent heroes in modern faith, like we need to, to remember uh, the old stories and remember uh, there's a song in, in our worship tradition, um, we will tell the stories of how we've overcome. We'll understand it better by and by. By and by when the morning comes, all the saints of God together at home, we will tell the stories of how we've overcome. We'll understand it better by and by. We cannot have complete understanding in in this moment of time, but we get a greater faith, a greater hope when we look at those who have gone before us, and when we look at and really believe that we're a part of a, a an overcoming family, so I would also say that we we don't have um, we don't have to have all the words. Um, one of the things about travailing prayer 
is oftentimes it's just a groan. You know, yeah. when you've run out of words, um, it's just a, oh, <laughs> it's just a, it's just a groan. A groan. I'm thinking that line in Romans, you know, with groanings that words cannot express. Right. Is that something of where fasting comes in to travail, to prevailing prayer? You know, I think of fasting as a way of praying with your body, yes. but also as like a way of praying without words, you know, mm -hmm. um, but yet, but yet you are interceding in a way. It's like your, mm -hmm. your act with your body is a, is a prayer. I think one of the, the challenges with, um, being human <laughs> <laughs> is that our, our flesh, our, our, our physical being, being supernatural beings in a, in a, supernatural world the, the whole world is supernatural but yet the the this temporal space can feel more real than yeah than and we're eternal. in a materialist society I right mean, absolutely so what fasting does is it really weakens your flesh yeah it weakens your your natural man and it awakens your spiritual man you know it's your your inner being becomes more uh, the longer you fast, the more attuned to the spirit you are yes. than you are to the natural. And that's why the discipline of fasting is so critical. When I was in college and I was just hungry for Jesus, um, I started fasting accidentally. I didn't, I didn't say, hey, I'm just going to fast. But I realized um, that I was, I noticed a pattern that on Thursdays I didn't eat. And Thursday just happened to be, so happened to be when our campus ministry met. So I'd wake up, I'd go to class, and then I was so zealous for, for the Lord and zealous for other people to know him. I would like spend afternoons telling people about Jesus, inviting him to campus ministry. And then I'd realize by like 10 at night, I'm like, oh, I forgot to eat today. And then I realized, oh, this is fasting. <laughs> like, it was unintentional. It's not like you read the book right. and went through the practice no, and I came did. up with a plan. Sure. It's and like so then you I found yourself. I being found led. myself. And and then I started discovering books about fasting and prayer. And I read uh, Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God and this idea of of experiencing the nearness of God through the mundane, you know, and um and I just started reading and growing. And so I made Thursdays. I was like, okay, intentionally. Now, of course, as soon as I became intentional about it, then all of a sudden I'm waking up hungry. Yes, exactly. Like, All the temptations First, come. we're not thinking about it until 10 p.m. Right. Now it's like 7.15 and you're like, I'm dying for uh, pancakes. <laughs> come on. Exactly. But I, I built a daily uh, or a weekly rhythm of fasting into my life. Then it began to increase. And then annually... I, you know, would do like a week and then it grew to 21 days and then it grew to a 40 days. And, you know, so I've, I've participated in many types of, of fasting. And I do believe, you know, that I do believe fasting, you can modify fasting, but it's ultimately food. You know, I think that 
you know. Oh, no, no. I'm 100% <laughs> with you. People talk about fasting from, you know, social media or fasting. I'm like, that's great, but that's not fasting. Right, you right. Know, people talk about a soup fast. And I'm like, ah, that's a nice idea, but that's not a fast. Right. Fasting is not eating. You know, right. it's just not what that word means. It, it is. It, it, that's not to disparage that. There's still a place for abstinence. I sure. think is a better word for that. But a- absolutely. Fasting is something you literally do with your body. You, you know? do. And it opens it, it again, it, it, it's supernatural. It increases and heightens your senses, your spiritual senses, your spiritual eyes to see, mm. your spiritual ears to hear. Um, fasting unlocks the miraculous. It, it literally, if, if you say, well, I've prayed for miracles, but I've never seen a miracle. Well, mm. fast. Yeah. You know, uh, I've never heard God's voice. Okay, fast. It it is Jesus modeled it for us. Yeah, what's so weird is if you're like a modern Christian from the West, that sounds bizarre. You right. know what I mean? But if you're pretty much any other Christian from anywhere else in the world or any other time in history, that's just common sense. I mean, right. the tragedy is like fasting, typically twice a week, was just what Christians did. Right until very recently and pretty much in just in the Western church context, you know, that was just, sure. it was just built into the life of a disciple of Jesus. But from very early on, it was just built into the life of discipleship. You know, it's a real tragedy that we've lost that in the consumption kind of spirit of the West. Absolutely. And I think that we, we have an underdeveloped theology of fasting um, when it comes to uh, mm, talk to us about the, that me, meaning that the average believer in America could go to church their entire lives and never never um, be formed in in a lifestyle of yeah. fast you could be a Christian who's an active member in a church for your entire life and never fast once and not really even think much about it right absolutely yeah. which is which is astonishing. And that's not so much a criticism of you, whoever you hypothetical person are listening, as much as that's just a statement about what the church is right now. Right. And that is a historical aberration. Absolutely. Which is, which is why I'm just so grateful um, that I've had several mentors in my life who, um, who fasting is what they do, you know, mm. and... I've seen and been a part of the the miracle stories of when we're believing God for something and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. And then it's like, oh, wait a second, let's, let's assemble a group of people and we're all going to commit to a fast. And oftentimes the Lord will dictate the terms of the fast, mm. fast for three days. Um, even, you know, there are different types of fast, the Daniel fast. I did an Esther fast one time, which was three days, um, in the tradition of, of yeah, no water, no water, and no food. I've never done no water. Yeah, I thought it, about it, but it oof. was it was brutal. <laughs> yeah. it was sad. I passed out at the very end. No um, way. But the breakthrough, it's 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 the prescription, and that's that goes back to contending prayer. When I say contending prayer, I mean pray to win. Yeah, like we don't just pray. Wow. And hope that well. Maybe if we pray, maybe something will happen. Maybe, yes. Maybe God will Which means will you're competing with something. When you're contending, you're competing. Right. You're praying against you're evil. Praying. You want to defeat evil. You want to win. Absolutely. And you're putting a, a demand on, 
on God, not that we tell him what to do, but there is this place of, of relationship with, with the Lord where there are certain realities where it's like, God, this is who you said that you are. Yeah. This is the access that we have as sons and daughters. And this is what needs to happen. Yeah. And we, we believe that what needs to happen aligns with who you say you are and what you do. And the promises you've made. And the promises you've made. And this is the time frame in which it has to happen. I mean, there's so many examples of this in the library of scripture of this being how you pray. There's a theologian I read recently. I I like to think of prayer as kind of an umbrella term for all of life with God. Right. And there's all these subcategories of gratitude and praise and adoration and worship and lament and petition and intercession and supplication and contending and, you know, contemplative prayer and listening prayer and the prophetic. And they're all kind of under this umbrella of prayer. But this this thought leader argued, no. He said, prayer in scripture means one thing, calling on God to fulfill his promises. There we go. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. It's over my pay grade to agree or disagree with, you know, how you define prayer, the, the word prayer. But that is for sure a through line to what I think Jesus called asking right. or asking prayer. You are calling on God to fulfill his promises in a, in a time of need. Absolutely. And, and that's part of, that's part of when I think of uh, the, the passage in Luke that says, when the Son of Man comes, will he, he find, find faith, faith on, on the earth? earth? He's looking for agreement on the earth. The, ultimately, we're not he's changing He's looking him. for people to agree and align with his intentions. With what he's already declared he intends to do. And prayer is how we do prayer that. Prayer is how we do that. So will he find faith? Is there agreement in Portland? Is it God's will for homicide for the homicide rate to be what it is? Is it God's will for there to be so much poverty and houselessness and prostitution and these different things? No. He's declared what his his will is for the earth on earth as it is in heaven. So what we do is we come into agreement with what he's already declared. Mm. And we contend, we we can put timelines on it. We can put some demands, you know. Uh, we can say, God, we we want the homicide rate w- within the next three months. We're going to pray that this is cut down by seventy five percent. Yeah, and then we're going to put ourselves into position uh, to be and do whatever we need to do to make that happen. So uh, we marry that prayer of faith with, you know what? I will I will give myself no rest. I will not eat or sleep until we go seven days with no homicides in Portland. Hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's not this we're not, no, that's Yeah, we're not used to that we're, kind we're, of a we're, posture toward God. We're, we're not used to that, but he responds to that. And part of what you're saying, right, like in context, you're talking about contending before God or prevailing or travail or whatever, but also listening to God for his, you use the word blueprint, I really like that metaphor, or his strategy, right? So right. you're trying to pray back to God what your spiritual intuition is that God already wants to do. Am, right. am I hearing that? Like, sure. you know, on that contemplative to activist kind of spectrum, Sure. I'm just by personality and a bunch of other things, I'm more on the contemplative side. Sure. So I am, you know, I know what God is wanting to do in me and I'm wanting, or at least wanting to want to grow and mature and stretch toward sure. the activism side. 
um, from my, you know, we all start on one side of that spectrum. Right. And uh, so intercessory prayer for me is much more difficult than say contemplative prayer. Right. And uh, it feels much more like work than like rest, you know? Sure. But one area where I'm finding great life and also great release of power is in kind of combining them in a way and and listening for God's heart in a situation sure. and almost asking Jesus, what do you want me to pray? Yes. And then trying to pray that back to him. Yes. So I've been doing this like really simple imaginative prayer exercise that, you know, is called pray the room where you, I just kind of imagine myself in a room with Jesus and I just kind of quiet myself and still myself before him in prayer. And then I just ask him to bring into the room anyone that he wants me to pray for. Sure. And again, this is just my imagination. And so I don't know what's me and what's the spirit of God in my mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, but I don't judge it. And so just whoever comes to mind, I will imagine yeah. that person. And it normally feels like out, outside of my directed attention, my mind, sure. you know, like a person comes to mind. And then follow-up question is, what do you want me to pray? And I'll often just have this sense in my head or in my gut or in my body, like, oh, I need to pray this. Yes. And then I'll just begin to pray that back to God. And in my mind, that's, I think, my way of kind of trying to mix the contemplative and the sure. activist, you know what I mean? And to intercede before God, but carrying God's heart, you know, like Paul's metaphor of like a midwife, like yes. trying to birth something with God. Absolutely. And and I, I think, again, of I've, I've probably quoted this exhaustively, but it, it just so impacted me when I read A.W. Tozer say that true religion confronts the earth with heaven and brings eternity to bear upon time. Hmm. And I go, the, the part of what prayer does is it is our, our, our door for confronting the earth with heaven yeah. and bringing eternal reality into the tangible and physical and the natural. So when you're in that room and you pray for someone and then you pray with expectation, if, if the person needs healing, then when I pray, God may or may not heal immediately right then and there, or he may choose to heal in a completely radically different way than what I prayed for, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to agree with him. You are a healer. So when I pray for you, if you said you had a migraine headache right now, then I'm going to pray with the expectation that he's going to heal that migraine headache right now. You know, I, I want to believe, I want him to find that kind of faith, you know, uh, in me. I want that kind of faith to be cultivated in me. Now faith. Um, now God can transform this community or this city. Now God can change me or, or my marriage or whatever the, the situation is. I wonder if fasting in that sense is like a way of taking the pain of the world into our body as Christ did. Mm. And you know what I mean? And really putting our money where our mouth is, you know, and just saying, man, we want to hold in our body this pain before God. Why do you think it is that with fasting, there's just greater breakthrough, greater release of God's power? Because I think with fasting, we're, we're in the spirit. Hmm. Um, pray. Our flesh is tamped and tamed. Our desires, if we're not feeding, you know, food is, is, is probably the most, uh, the clearest and most accessible way for us to literally feed our flesh. Yeah. You know, we, we can practice 
the least discipline when it comes to our eating habits because it's just we have to have it to survive and if it tastes good we'll just eat more than we actually need to eat mm-hmm. and so when you're denying yourself your your flesh it's one of its most base desires suddenly there there's something i i found especially in like a 40 day fast there's a distinct moment where your body realizes it's not getting it's you're you're just not it's not it, going to get what it wants. It's not going to get what it wants. You're screaming. You feel like you're going to die. And then once you press through that, it's almost like running, too. I used to run uh, cross country. And there, there's that moment, a certain mile where it's like, I am going to die a thousand deaths right now. Yes. <laughs> you know, like this is it. What do they call it in marathon? The wall. The wall. Yeah. You hit it. But once you break through, there's there's a whole nother level. There's just some another uh, another biological state that you enter into. Um, and the same thing with fasting. And in that place, I think once you break through that, you get into this place in the spirit where now your prayers aren't aren't tainted by human desire. They're not tainted by um, or informed by all of the, the, the fleshy things. And now you're more in alignment with the will of God. You're hearing more clearly. Um, you're 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 in this kind of the state of communion with God that we're that He can now move. You know, you you you're now a vessel. You're now in a place where there's power and authority. And I think you 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 gain spiritual authority in through fasting and prayer. Practicing the Way is a crowdfunded non-profit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Callum from Swindon in the UK and I'm a part of this community. To join myself and others in The Circle or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org slash give. It sounds like similar to prayer in general, you utilize fasting on both kind of a rule of life kind of rhythm basis of Thursdays or whatever that is, and also on a special needs basis of like, sure. we need breakthrough. And so we're going to fast for this many days or whatever you felt right. impressed on your heart by the spirit. Am I hearing that right or Absolutely. No? Absolutely. I think there are certain things, you know, you see uh, in scripture where the Lord says this come this kind only comes out by, by prayer fa- and fasting. By prayer and fasting. So there are certain situations where the Lord, where you're praying for something, but you don't see any change, you don't feel any victory, there's no breakthrough, and then the Holy Spirit says, "Do a fast," and that's part of the 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 um, the strategy that the Lord releases in order for you to experience victory. That's interesting. You know, fasting is one form of praying without words before God. And, uh, but there's, there's another form that is even less popular to talk about, at least in certain church circles that I grew up in. And that is not praying without words, but praying without words that we don't understand Mm -hmm. or what the New Testament calls praying in languages or uh, praying in tongues is how it's normally translated in English, which is a wildly unhelpful translation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that's very much a part of your life and your framework for intercession and for life with God. Just, 
I think for some people listening, that will be a completely new idea. Talk yeah. to us about that. Well, I, I grew up in uh, the missionary Baptist tradition, uh, which is uh, not Southern Baptist. It was in the South, but um, kind of part of a, a denomination of black Baptist churches, so probably National Baptist Convention. And all that to say, in, in those churches, so we weren't Pentecostal in the sense of like a Pentecostal church, but just in the African-American tradition, um, very expressive, and yeah. we called them the, not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> so you catch the Holy Ghost, you know. So catching the Holy Ghost in, in our church service was if you felt, had a sense of the Spirit. And most often, it the manifestation of the presence of the Holy Ghost was it caused you to dance. So the music shifts, dun, 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 and the dancing, you know, the <laughs> movies have really overdone it and made made it, made a, a caricature of what black church is like. So that's not fully accurate. But all that to say, in that context, my my experience of Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost was in that kind of way. But there was never any teaching on like the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues. I would hear people speak in glossolalia in the church occasionally, but it was never anything taught or addressed, not really embraced, not really shunned. It was just kind of there. Kind of there. Yeah, but without explanation or intention. Right. When I was 14, though, um, I had an encounter uh, with the Lord in a revival setting down in Florida, what's now known as the Brownsville outpouring. And hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was what some people would call slain in the spirit. And when I woke up from this or responding to this altar call, I was no longer in the church at the altar. I was in a hotel room. Um, I had been out in the spirit, so to speak, for four hours. Wow. Um, and from that point, I had gained what some people call a, a prayer language. And um, so this this ability to speak in tongues, which has been abused in certain circles, I oh, think. Yeah. Like all people, good things in like the church. A, yeah. But yes. You know, there's lots of wild theology around it. And, yeah. You know, but for me personally— what I found, you know, in, in Jude 1, it says, pray in the Spirit at all times. Or, or well, First Thessalonians says pray at all times. But Jude 1 says pray in the Spirit. And it says keep yourself in the, the, merc- in the mercies of God or in the love of God. Uh, and what I found is when I don't know what, when I don't have words to say in the natural, mm. I pray in tongues. And, and I can do it. Like, I, as as an act of my will, you know, yes. it's not just, there are times where it's like supernaturally I'm praying and next thing you know, I'm praying in a heavenly language. But most often it's like, no, I'm going to pray in tongues right now, you know. And I found that when I'm on the streets, I do a lot of, uh, I, I go in a lot of dangerous places. Yes, yeah, so the work you do is, yeah. When when I'm in those situations, there's there's nothing intellectual that I can say or do. There are times where it's like, I just, I, I have to, it's almost like the same way that fasting is a doorway to being in the spirit, like John in the book of Revelation, immediately I was in the, the spirit, spirit on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. For me, 
it's become the pathway for me to immediately be in the spirit. Hmm. Like if I need an answer, if I'm on a panel discussion, uh, you know, I'm not yelling on the microphone in tongues, but I pull back and I, I'll pray in tongues. Hmm. And what, what it says. Because you're saying for you, it's a way of praying when you don't know what to pray. Right. It's that. And it's communion with God. It's first Corinthians, I believe 14 says, when you pray in tongues, it says, your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, I'm talking to Jesus. I'm not talking to you in tongues. I'm talking to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm communicating in the language of the spirit. And at that moment, I can hear what my mouth is saying. I don't know what I'm saying. Though. Yeah. And then suddenly what happens is a, a, a discernible thought will enter my mind. And I go, oh, that must be the spirit. Because... If I'm praying in, in the spirit and all of a sudden when I'm on the streets in a riot zone and Molotov cocktails are being thrown and I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And then I pray in the spirit. And then next thing you know, this thought says, climb the red stairs to the left. I didn't even see red stairs to the left. I looked to my left and there's red stairs. Oh, that must have been a directive mm-hmm. from the Lord. That feels like a thought from outside my own mind. Outside of my mind. Planted there to direct my steps. But I wouldn't, if I, if, if I hadn't been in that posture, it's, it's like a, a state of prayer. Hmm. Uh, if I'm not in that place, then I wouldn't think of these things or come up with these ideas. This is so, I mean, obviously Corinthians 14 is the go-to text on tongues or languages in the New Testament. There are others, but it's the most in-depth kind of explanation mm-hmm. at a theological level by Paul. But, you know, that whole, I pray in the spirit, when I pray in the spirit, my mind is unfruitful. For our Western-shaped consciousness, that is all about that prefrontal cortex, all about rationality mm-hmm. and executive function and planning and strategy and control and empire building, that is such a far stretch for us mm-hmm. to try to intentionally bypass that rational, not part of our brain, not because it's bad, mm-hmm. but because it's so limited right. in its wisdom in its perception and in its insight. So you're saying you intentionally try to get around that in order to open your mind and imagination to God's prefrontal cortex. He doesn't actually have Absolutely. one, but you know what I mean? To his... His brain, his strategy, his intention. Absolutely, and and I I have a, a good friend um, that's a, a part of a, a ministry in Texas called Upper Room, and he prays for at least an hour every morning in tongues, and as a discipline, like we're gonna pray. And if you were in any of his teaching classes, he'll often start his classes like, all right, everybody, if you if you have if you have the ability and are comfortable, we're going to pray in tongues for the next 25 <laughs> minutes, you know, 30 minutes. Oh, my gosh. I don't and, even know what I would and, do. And it's it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, if you're not used to that, even if you are used to it, I mean, yes. it's like, this is weird. <laughs> like, what? Is this okay? But there's something that happens. There's a dimension that opens, and there's a distinct moment. So I, I started developing that as a practice for me. Um, oftentimes, I—, I, I, I I may not get a, a whole hour, but I will try to start my day with 30 minutes, at least 30 minutes where I'm just praying Seriously? every wow. day, every day. And yeah, I have no category for this. And it, it's a, it's a press. It's, it's not necessarily easy until it is Yeah, like oftentimes it starts out laborious and it's like, okay, I'm pressing in, but then there's a place where 
it's it you enter into the spirit and i've actually prayed at times where um like it it sounds different where i know there most of the time i'm praying in the language of angels the language of heaven but there are times when i'm praying and i'll hear my language change and then the holy spirit gives me understanding that i'm praying for like i i I've prayed in arabic in tongues and the holy spirit says yeah you're interceding for um for egypt right now and then i come out of my time of prayer and i go i wonder what's going on in egypt because i don't know because I, I know I'm praying for Egypt, like I'm, my mind's unfruitful. Then I'll, the same way the red staircase thoughts. So it's like have a sense of what Egypt, you're praying for. You know, uh, <laughs> Egypt. And then there, there might be financial system. And, I'm, and so then I pray with understanding, God, I don't know what's going on in Egypt, but Lord, I pray that you would break into the financial system or, you know, whatever, whatever the, yeah. the, 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 the thought is. And then I get out of prayer and Google it, and the news says, financial collapse in Egypt this morning, you know, and that, that has happened over and, and over, over and, and over. over again. And that's, that goes back to this idea of when we pray, we yeah, pray so to the win. person who's the skeptic is like, this is like, all right, you lost me. You had me at like prayer and justice. That sure. was a stretch, but now you're, you're, you're off the map for me. You know, this is, this is bonkers. Yeah. But you're like, man, over and over and over again. This has shaped my life. This is why I'm sitting here on this podcast with you because those type that type of prayer has led me from city to city it has led me into relationship it has given me strategy our entire organization is built from basically prayer filled encounters like that hmm. praying in the spirit a thought comes an idea comes a directive comes then we respond to the directive hmm. god bears witness on it and it's 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 his leadership and that's where I'd love to maybe start to wind down our conversation. You know, you are clearly a man who's not just speaking to God on a regular basis, not just speaking to God with, with, without words through praying with your body, not just speaking to God in words you don't understand, but you are a man who's listening to God. What does that aspect, I think that's a whole other dimension to prayer that so many modern Christians just lack or have a poverty of or are scared of or have no experience of i actually think most people hear god's voice way more than they realize sure. you know because of how god speaks and i think we we often don't discern that it's his voice or we do but it's just you know talk to us about learning to hear the voice of god well what i've learned is we as humans we we are probably proficient at understanding things in four four dimensions maybe five you know sight we can see we can smell we can we can intake information through our smell we can read body, body language we can feel you know the wind on our skin so our senses we're limited to our natural senses but all of those things are ways in which we process information and and interpret signals yeah you know? make sense of our life and but God speaks, he speaks through all of those dimensions and more. And I think that's uh, what having eyes to see and ears to hear is really the Lord sensitizing you into, first through the natural senses that we have, the human senses, uh, our ears, our eyes, our nose, 
our mouth, our body, our skin. He speaks through creation consistently. I mean, it's in scripture, all of creation declares his glory. And so I think, you know, you have the solo scriptura. You've got, you know, folks who are like, well, he's given us his word. It's written. And that's the only way he speaks. Eh, yeah. No, the, the, the word contains. You certainly don't get that from the New Testament record. Right. Exactly. If you look at the life of, if you read the book of Acts, sure. you know, as the New Testament is being written and scripture just plays a vital role in the life of the early church, but you would never get the heaven is silent now. Right. Treatment from that. And, and, and part of, I think the fear is, well, you know, if God is speaking to you through that tree, what if it's not God? What if it's mm -hmm. the enemy? Yeah. Well, the truth is when you, when you know the word, then you know his character, yeah. you know, his personality. Yeah. When you, when you, you are a plumb line to test your thoughts against ex or. Exactly. So we can't be afraid though, because you're, mi you're missing the fact that he is, he's an artist and he's, He's uh, always speaking through his creation. And, he's and when you speaking. say God is speaking to me through that tree, you don't mean like the leaves are no. saying, hey, yeah. you mean like you might be noticing a tree right. in a way that maybe you'd be oblivious to normally. And maybe in some metaphoric way, a thought is coming to your sure. mind through that tree, through the way it's standing or the type of tree it is or its history. Sure. And something about that tree is opening a thought in your mind that is connecting with where is that is that what I'm that's, hearing you that's say? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. And I'm not saying God can't because God, he you know, in the biblical record, he spoke through a donkey, <laughs> like lot, literally yes, through a donkey. There, yes. You know, there's stuff there. Now I've not had that happen to me, you know. Um, but so I'm not saying he can't. But what I am saying is exactly what you're saying is that, you know, God, throughout Scripture, we see even the the idea of signs and wonders. Yeah. And Hebrew, the the Hebrew language is pictorial. Like every letter is a sign and a symbol. And so it's like the language of God is signs and symbols. It's not exclusive to that, mm. but Oh, and you're saying that God speaks in symbols. He speaks in symbols yeah. and metaphors. Which again, the Western sign. mind is so hyper rational that mm -hmm. we think in term paper, essay, you know, sure. Greek concept, which is not bad. My brain is wired that way. But yet even Western people, most of us understand life better through metaphor, story, symbol, sure. analogy. And you're saying that's more God's primary language. I, th I think it's, it's his language, but then we all have a bandwidth. We all have a frequency, I, I'd yes. say. Each brain which, is wired to each understand. Brain is wired. So one brain might be more didactic or more hyper rational, and it's going to experience God more through a theological essay. Absolutely. And another brain might be more poetic and artistic and nonlinear. Absolutely. And God's going to meet each brain, each each soul, each person as they are. That's exactly right. And I think, I think, going back to fasting and prayer, when we all, no matter how we're wired, have have that. As a baseline, we have the practices of fasting and prayer ingrained deeply into our walk with the Lord. Whatever frequency we hear and commune with Him uh, the most, you know, the, the we hear best. Whatever frequency we hear best through, it becomes highlighted. Yes, because we're creating we space. Because we're creating space. And I've had to say that in this practice, like. Prayer is not a practice. It's not a spiritual discipline mm -hmm. because spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. In this sure. case, the end is prayer. The end right. is life with God. Right. 
But yet there is a, a practice component to it where we set aside dedicated time and space to make room for communion with God sure. and communication with God, which is again, back and forth. It's two ways, it's speaking to God and it's listening to God. So right. is that what you're saying? That when you organize your life around prayer, on a daily prayer rhythm, that what you're really trying to do is make space to speak to God, but also to hear from God. And yes. that will come differently through your personality than through mine, than through another's. God will meet you where you're at in your frequency. He will. The common denominator is how do we all make room for God? How do we make room for God and be open to how he will meet with us in that space? Hmm. Because he often will offend our minds. Yes, because we're not in control of that space. We aren't. He, he may give, if you're not a dreamer, he may come to you in a dream. You may start dreaming all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that uncanny theme you see in scripture. And I, I'm watching my wife with it right now. So many people close to me, my own experience, where often, almost comically, God will come to us in the ways, some of the ways that are like, yes, this is my personality, this is what I'm mm -hmm. wired for, this is my heart's desire. But God will also come to us and call us into things that are like, previously we said, oh, I would never do that. Exactly. Or I'll do anything but, I, I can remember saying, I will do anything, God, but be a pastor. <laughs> exactly. And it wasn't rebellion. That was like right. a genuine, like, God, that's just the one thing I won't do. <laughs> and, and Exactly. <laughs> and he'll bring you in a relationship with people that you would have never personally chosen. Yes. He will speak through and bring you in a relationship with people who speak the word of the Lord to you, that's sharpen you. And you're like, if it weren't from Je for Jesus, I would never choose this person as a friend. <laughs> like, you know? And so you have to have eyes to see, like, okay, God, what are, what are you doing? I, I receive your leadership in my life um, because I want to know you. Yeah. This may be, I know this is a tender one, but to end, you know, um, at some point we all have to go from a podcast or an idea about prayer or an inspirational thought to waking up in the morning or whenever and and praying and yeah. and carving out time. What what does daily prayer look like for you? Yeah. So I, I really probably about when seventeen, eighteen years ago, the first thing that I began to do, of course, was the 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 fasting um, mm -hmm. on on Thursdays. That's since increased and in, 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 uh, I have different days of the week. But um, starting out, worship is a is a key part of both just my life, my family's life, but the African American tradition. So, worship, like my prayer times, kind of if you were to come into my prayer closet in the morning, first thing I'll do is I'll usually uh, turn on some soothing worship music, hmm. and I'll pray in in the spirit, pray in tongues for the at least 30 minutes with worship music praying. Wow. Playing. Then I open, I'll, I'll usually do a psalm, a proverb, and then a New Testament mm -hmm. story, you know, if I have time. But I'll do a psalm, and with the psalms, I, I read it, I'll say it out loud, then I'll turn the psalm into a prayer if I can. Yeah. You know, I'll pray. Well, most of them are prayers, not right, all, most, but most of them right. are. So I'll pray it. And then um, usually, you know, God will, I'll pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, as if I have time, you know, I'll really try to break it down. And, and then throughout the day, I'm praying in the Spirit all day. And I've had to, I've had to change, I've had to catch myself because sometimes 
praying in tongues has become so natural to me. I'll just like <laughs> in between conversation, I'll just say a sentence in tongues. I'm like, oh wait, this is not that setting. I shouldn't do that. But I'm always trying to. If I'm in my car, I'm praying. So sure, that, that's not like a minor side dish in your spiritual feast. That's it's, like a central part of your life with God. It's, it's the way. It's the only way I can stay in constant. I, I'm. I tried. I purposed in my heart about 17 years ago to try to talk to God at every moment that I'm not talking to a human. Now, I'm not great at that, but I'm always asking, hmm. so what do you think about this? You know, if I'm not praying in tongues, you know, God, what what do you what what do you think about this person? What are you saying? I'm always trying to develop that listening ear, hmm. um, just talking to God. And then sometimes it's just silence, you know. Sometimes it's just trying to feel God in in the silence, in the solitude. But I'm I, I, I try to stay in communion in communion, pray without ceasing. So yeah. I'm like, how do I pray without ceasing? And part of that's just a dialogue with God. And so I finally uh, developed Thanksgiving in my life where when um, things go wrong, I used to have this car that I literally, I believe the Lord gave me the car in order to develop my prayer life because <laughs> it would not start. It would. I feel that way about our dog. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> this car would not start unless I prayed for it. It was so wild. I could hit it. I could do anything, take it to the mechanic. It's fine. It had a problem until I got it to the mechanic, and it, it was fine. He's like, there's nothing wrong with it. But I would be in front of a crowd of people, and the car would not crank, so I had to open the hood, lay hands on the engine, <laughs> and pray, and thank You're God for the car. You're your great-grandmother exactly. right there. Yeah. And the car would crank. And so I would be on the side of my iPhone calling you know, the tow truck driver or whatever, and, your, and my grandma was not teaching me at seven years old to pray for the sink. Right. It, it's just, it's just it's wild. You know? yeah. So what I learned when I owned that car was that Thanksgiving is, is key to our communion with God. Mm. And so I just, I try to practice thankfulness yeah. all day, every day. Gratitude is the most fundamental orientation toward God the Father. Absolutely. Especially when people upset you, when people mm -hmm. cut you off in traffic, when you get bad news. I just made it a, like every time I get bad news, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, that happened. Oh, great. Oh, that phone call. Whew, thank you, Jesus. You know, I, I, to, to retrain my brain to where my first response isn't, oh, expletive, but my first response is, oh, bless the Lord. Not not to be like that super religious guy, but— No, I, because I just, you're not the super religious I'm guy, not, and you're trying to reorient your heart. I'm, exactly, right? exactly. And I've found that that has radically transformed mm. my attitude, my demeanor, my relationships, my, my responsiveness— the way I respond to bad things, you know, at a macro level. Like Which is I, much of our ordinary life is just right. responding and it reacting is. often to bad news. It is. So that's a little glimpse. I know I've said mm. a lot, but that's a little glimpse. No, my heart is warmed by that. Light. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for allowing us into that. And it's a Absolutely. tender place. And, you know, some of that's like, oh, yeah, I see that in my life. And other things are like, no, I don't wake up in the morning and put on worship music and speak in tongues for 30 minutes. That's <laughs> not like my morning devotional practice. But right. It's such a wealth of learning from you. Just JT, thank you for your heart. Thank you for who you are. And of course, all that you do is just a, a real gift to the world and the church, to our city and our community. But 
um, more than that, who you are as a man, as a brother, as a friend. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me.